welcome to the Hammer and Tulip podcast with me, your host, Graham Phillips, and Mr. Gareth Dix. Hello, Gareth. How are you? Hey, how are you doing, mate? I'm doing all right. Thank you very much. How are you, sir? Do you know what? I'm not going to lie and say I'm doing well, but what I will say is, as we were saying earlier about our, our dear friend Simon Ponsonby, I remember uh, when I used to ask him how he was, he used to say, the lamb is on the throne. And I think that's a brilliant answer <laughs> for these times. God's yeah. in control and it is all good. 100%. I think that's uh, something that we can all um, draw comfort from in these times. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I don't draw much comfort from my own emotions or mental state, uh, you know, I think it was Alistair Begg who said uh, once, he said, you know, if you were to have a window into my brain and see the things that I was thinking and the things I was feeling, you'd doubt whether I was a Christian. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not about what I'm thinking or feeling. It's about who Jesus is and the fact he's still on the throne. So amen. Amen. Well, um, today's show, we're really excited because we're going to be discussing something that I think we both feel is a real issue a real issue in the western church that's the issue of pragmatism pragmatism so we're going to be looking at what that is uh, hopefully using a few definitions that work of what pragmatism is and then draw out some of the things that we are seeing and perhaps how pragmatism is is infecting the church at large because i don't think pragmatism is something that we can escape I don't think it's something that we um, we're able to escape. I think it's out there, and we 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 do like to be and should be pragmatic in some ways. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, for example, if if I'm choosing the route to school in the morning, I, I want to be pragmatic about the route I choose, and we'll, we'll explain why. But it's yeah. whether pragmatism should extend into the life of the church, uh, and whether that should be the way and the manner in which we live as Christians. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, Gareth, I did want to say as well, give you a little rep and a shout out. Gareth's Instagram um, account, Bible Books Theology, is that right? That's right. And you know what? It's got up to 777 followers, which I'm not really that fussed about followers, but 777 followers, right. I think, is a milestone that we have to celebrate. You, you know, 777. Celebrate that... Um, that number right there um the, you know, <laughs> one of my favorite tracks actually Dwayne triumph have you ever listened to intro 777 it's one of Dwayne triumph Dwayne triumph is a is a, a gospel rapper and intro 777 he effectively manages to preach the gospel and the key themes of scripture from creation to wow um to the second coming in i, ne- about, I so need to hear that in about I- two minutes i'll link it in the description oh, please, yeah is, insanely good so uh yeah oh well celebrate that but gareth has this instagram account uh, bible books theology um do do go follow it um gareth has always got a really helpful book recommendation and um gareth to be honest you've created another hole in my pocket <laughs> through that flaming instagram channel because you should send me an invoice <laughs> seriously mate honestly, like you know i bought logos software last year which has got you know, I've got like thousands of resources on that. And so I think my wife was happy, although it cost a fair bit. She's thinking you probably won't need to buy any books. But um, because no. of you, because yeah. of you and your Instagram um, account, that <laughs> uh, the, her hopes, her frail hopes have been dashed against the rocks because now oh, no. uh, you've got me buying uh, Jay Gratian Macon, Christianity and Liberalism. That was this week's offering. I've bought The Valley of Vision. I've bought... Um, 
What's that other one? The Puritan devotional book. Um, oh, Voices of the Voices Past, of, I think it is. Isn't it? Voices of the Past, you know. Oh, essential. Like, Gareth is constantly like just dropping these heavy books, man. And I'm like, yes, yes, that needs to happen. That purchase has to happen. Any, any, I mean, I'm sure many of our listeners are book addicts as well, so they'll be able to relate. But um, Gareth, what, what are you reading at the moment, mate? Well, I think the ones the one I'm enjoying reading is it's uh, by Melvin Tinker and it's called That Hideous Strength a deeper look at how the west was lost and what I like about this one this is really dealing with the cultural marxism in our times and you know the kind of the very subtle way that we're kind of pulled into into things which uh, appear to be you know the main social justice issues but can actually pull us a long way away from the truth so I found that has been extremely helpful um also enjoying Ashamed of the Gospel by John MacArthur, which um, I think is, you know, I mean, that, that book was written quite a while ago, but it's so kind of relevant to us, our time. Um, and another one which I'm really enjoying is By What Standard? And it's yes. edited, by, edited by Jared Longshore. And this is, again, it's dealing with a lot of the issues today, the kind of cultural Marxism, critical theory, those things that are very much, um, as we may talk about later on, about how the modern church piggybacks um, onto whatever cultural, social yeah. uh, issue is the main thing. And, and that's another book where just kind of at the moment, just really kind of helping to fill my mind with the arguments to understand how to have a grid for what's going on in the culture. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I don't know if um, the by what standard is, is, a, is a classic sort of presuppositional apologetics yeah. quote. I don't know if you've ever read any Greg Barnson. I haven't, um, but, uh, or um, or Cornelius Van Til, always worth a look. Um, but yeah, no, um, really sounds interesting, Gareth. If you can pop me those in the WhatsApp, um, I will make sure I add those titles to the description because I'm I'm sure I want to get hold of those books. Um, no probs will do. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's been um, obviously the Jay Gresham Machen, which is I understand a classic. Absolutely really brilliant that so far, and seeing many parallels, you know, in his in his kind of critique of liberal Christianity as it was in the 20s, um, you know, 100 years later, we're seeing the rise of a new Christian liberalism, which is Absolutely essentially right. wokeism, right? And, yeah. Uh, uh, or, or as it has been known, progressive Christianity. Um, now the two seem to be kind of morphing together um, in a scary, scary kind of Hulk-like way. Um to form this new kind of super beast and so yeah um, see many of his critiques kind of run true uh for this new form of christian liberalism so it's really helpful um i'm also reading uh suffering is never for nothing which is elizabeth elliott really really recommend that it's a more pastoral read but just so strong uh, you know written by a woman who obviously lost her first husband uh, out in the mission field to the alka indians in ecuador um, and I'm also reading uh, a book recommended by John Piper last week, actually, Tony Reinke, um, 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. Very different to the other two books I'm reading, but but so far, so good. Um, I bet that's a scary read, though, when you get into well, it. Well, of course it is, because yeah. you know, we're, we're all glued to our phones during lockdown, aren't we? Um, I hate looking at the average figures for the amount of time I spend on my phone. Oh, yeah. You know, when you get the report each week. So, uh, yeah, but it's good. And I think Tony Reinker's focusing more on the impact um, upon your spiritual discipline, um, which is really helpful as a Christian. It's like, well, actually, you know, I think we all know what what physical and psychological effects 
a phone addiction will have on you. You know, you get too yeah. much blue light. You're not going to be able to sleep at night. You're probably going to be more irritable. Uh, you're going to be disconnected from your family. Like, we all know that. We've heard those things. But this kind of hits the nail on the head in a more kind of, uh, yeah, devotional manner. Like, well, how is this affecting your prayer life? Like, what what's that going to look like now? And he doesn't... What I like as well is that so far in reading it, he's not like a kind of technology bad guy. He's, he's no. definitely like... He's an early adopter. He he he's very much kind of painting a picture of well, actually, technology um, is something that God does use in Scripture. You know, if you want to take a broader look at technology and move away from our twenty-first century kind of ideas about what technology means, and just take it back to be to meaning something that's crafted by man in order to to kind of perform a function. Well, you know, God uses technology all the time for for great good in the Bible. You think of the yeah. plow, you know, um, all these sorts of things, and the yoke of oxen, or you know, even the cross. You know, was a horrific bit of prehistoric. Well, not prehistoric, but a, a horrific bit of kind of archaic technology designed to to kill people yeah. in an awful manner. Which God used that technology for good, is what Reinke says. Which is it's an interesting look at things. But I found it good. I, I would recommend so far. So. Uh, yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Um, we will pop those book recommendations in the um, description, the podcast description, if you want to take a look at those. Um, but without further ado, I think it'd be good to shift the conversation along into our discussion of pragmatism. So there's a few kind of working definitions that I came across that I found helpful without getting us kind of too bogged down into... Um, philosophy, you know, massive kind of like philosophical, crazy mind benders. Uh, <laughs> Modern sound bites is good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with the sound bite, you know. So uh, we found a few good working definitions, but um, so we'll look at those first. I think it's good to have a nice, succinct working definition of what we mean by pragmatism before we start to discuss. So R.C. Sproul um, has written a fair bit about pragmatism. And he would essentially say that pragmatism simply is this. It means that the ends justify the means. The ends yep. justify the means. So if you have something desirous that you're aiming at, an end goal, um, that then makes... And it means then that any way which you choose to try and attain that goal, th those those means are justified by the the end uh, perhaps in a more kind of easy to understand way um volley bochum gets the idea of it when he says this um pragmatism is this it's it's that something is true only in so far as it works yeah right, that, that's, that's, that's pragmatism. a brilliant definition i found that a really helpful definition so something is true only in so far as it works you know um so that's i think those are two helpful helpful kind of definitions i came across how about you gareth did you get any yeah i think really i mean straight to the oxford dictionary um not as exciting as verdi bochum or Aussie <laughs> sproul but but just quite simply an approach that evaluates theories of beliefs in terms of the success of their practical application which is just right. a rather wordy way of saying exactly the same thing as what you've just said yeah it's got to go to work you know it's got yeah. it's got to it's got to get results um, 
And so, you know, Arthur Sproul, I think he says this is something that essentially originated in the late 19th, early 20th century in America. It's where we see it begin to rise. And I think it kind of like bunny hops a little bit onto like Immanuel Kant and like utilitarianism. Like, you know, the idea that whatever is for the greater good is right. You know, that it's kind of similar in some ways to that, though not exactly the same. Um, and pragmatism on many levels is actually something that's been helpful for our Western society. Uh, it isn't that we want to bash pragmatism no. and say that it's always wrong. Um, you know, as I said earlier, for example, um, something if we take that kind of maxim that defines pragmatism, something is true only insofar as it works, well, yeah, you know, like, as I say, if I'm driving my girls to school in the morning um, or something is right insofar as it works, like, I'm not going to consistently drive away to school that's going to, you know, leave me getting there late and having to get in the gates. I, I'm I'm being pragmatic about the route that I choose yeah. to take them to school in that um, the right way is the one that works for me it's the one that gets me there on time and that's the right way you know that's truly the right way so in a sense you can be very pragmatic about things like that and it's helpful um so we're not saying like never be pragmatic and equally i think it's it's good to kind of make the distinction as well that um there's a difference between being practical and being pragmatic um you know there are there are many, I think, in church circles who are pragmatists um, who hide behind this notion of being practical people. And actually, there's a difference. Um, it, you know, being practical um, is dealing with the things in hand, uh, you know, things like that. Um, getting jobs done on, on a ground level. Um, being handsy if you want to kind of put it like yeah. that There's nothing, nothing <laughs> wrong with that in church leadership you have to you have to do the work you know but um there's a difference between that and, and having a pragmatic outlook so we're not what we're not talking about today is we're not trying to attack being practical um we're not trying to say that you know being pragmatic in terms of anything is wrong but but what we would say is this is that there are certainly areas of life where it would be grossly inappropriate to take a pragmatic approach for example if the ends justify the means and my end is that i want to make a particular woman my wife then it would be horrendous to then decide that i'm going to take a pragmatic approach to that meaning that any means that i utilize in order to achieve my goal of making that woman my wife are right and true well that's horrendous yeah, <laughs> that we can easily see how that's going to end dreadfully. Um, so we can see immediately that pragmatism is not a kind of catch-all philosophical model for life. And so I guess our question, what we want to get at the nub of today, is that I th I think it's it's plain to see that pragmatism has had a huge impact on the Western world. Um, I think it was uh, uh, Vodi Bochum in one of his sessions said, you know, we can't escape this. You can't pretend like you're not pragmatic you are a pragmatic in many ways the question is should pragmatism be the guiding principle in church yeah you know? completely so that's that's the nub of the matter really i think isn't it today gareth yeah completely and i think in fairness like like you said i mean 
with regards to business, you know, you're going to want to find a strategy that, that constantly yields good results. You know, yeah. the aim is to sell products and services, produce revenue. And, you know, the proven cash cow is the desired byproduct of a successful strategy and product. So, you know, if you're a football manager, you think, well, actually, that particular formation and team is winning games and winning them well. Well, obviously, it would it would seem daft to change that. Um, yeah. But but the thing is, this the whole thing is is the problem is when when it comes to how do we uh, lead churches, um, how do we approach leading churches and ordering our worship, because you, you know you don't have to be super clever to work out that how you run a business is not going to be the same to how you lead a church. Well, you you say that, Gareth, but I'm sure there are many that would disagree with you, at least yeah. in, pra- in practice, maybe not vocally, but they, in practice they would disagree with you. Um, you know, I, I people might be listening to this and thinking, well, I'm not sure how this relates to me. Like, is pragmatism really an issue? Is it a thing? We only have to go back 20, 30 years, Gareth, don't we, to yeah. the 80s and the 90s. Now, I'm old enough to remember those days, and perhaps some of our listeners are not, but um, the names back then weren't Bethel and Hillsong. The, the names no. were Willow Creek. You know, it was it was um, Rick Warren. It was... Um, Oh, what's the guy who was Willow Creek? Bill. Bill Hybels. Hybels um, yeah, John Maxwell. John Maxwell. You know, it was these guys um, who who were doing the business back then. And the movement that we're talking about really was the church growth movement. And Global Leadership the, Summit, all that. Global Leadership Summit, exactly. Yeah. It was a group of people who um, had good goals, right? The goal was we want to see we want to see Jesus glorified. We want to see churches filled. We want to see people getting discipled on a grand scale. These aren't wrong things to desire, are they? Right? No. Um, however, um, what, what happened in this movement was that, um, instead of perhaps kind of doing the tried and tested route, which would be to, uh, you know, preach the gospel and, um, Pray. <laughs> Pray. Um, instead, what, what, what began to happen was more of a an approach which said, let's look to the business world. Um, let's look to principles operating out there that are producing growth on a massive scale. Perhaps we can learn something here. And so what we began to see was a door be opened mm, um, yeah. f- between business leadership and church leadership. And church leaders beginning to look to business leaders for guidance on how to lead in church and essentially what this is is pragmatism that's what we have pure and simple is we have a good goal we want to fill churches we want to see people being baptized regularly you know uh full alpha courses discipleship classes whatever it is um but we're not getting that job done well enough right now. We are recognizing that things are not moving as quickly as we'd like. So what we're going to do is we're going to look around in the world and we're going to look for a model that seems to be really going to work. We're going to look for a model that seems to be producing growth. um, And we're going to wholesale bring that in to the church setting and we're going to see it work. And you know what? To a level, it does. 
Yeah. To a level it does, because th- these churches begun to see growth, didn't they, on an exponential yeah. level? Like, I know people have been out to Bill Hybel's church, um, and they've talked about, you know, you walk in through the doors of this massive complex, and immediately you're sort of greeted with cafes the size of, like, city centre Starbucks. You've got little booths where there are sort of pastors with lanyards on, pastoring people, you know, in a, you know, like... It's literally like, um, it, it, it's crazy. Like, it, it's like a fast food church almost. Like, you go in and you get, like, you get churched <laughs> in this building. Yeah. And so on a level, these principles kind of accelerated growth. Um, but sadly, the end of that was that what happened in the process of these churches growing, um, and obviously then you've got leaders around the world looking to highballs and... and um, Maxwell or who's the other guy Rick Warren and then trying to model what they're doing uh, in the states wherever they are and what you begin to see is certain things happen you begin to see um, certain things that perhaps would provide a barrier to growth you know let's say the doctrine of hell um, or um, the doctrine of the the judgment you know things that might kind of stick in the craw a little bit you start to see those dumbed down a little bit um if not completely disappear you start to see a less doctrinal approach from the pulpit the preaching becomes instead of expositional it becomes topical yeah so um themes instead of a pulpit you've now got um a stool like what i'm sitting on a little table bottle of water you know um (laughs) you start to see that more conversational approach um you start to see essentially a more kind of felt needs focus from the yeah. church like what what you, what's your need what do you feel you would need or you would want from church okay well we want to meet that need um and you yeah eventually you see a church that changes the nuts and bolts of what service and worship actually is into something that is going to be highly appealing to perhaps an unbeliever yeah. And so th- that's what begins to happen. Um, and now here we are in the 21st century, and we're essentially kind of living in the aftermath of that movement. Uh, and so I know that Tim Charlies has done some good stuff on this, where he has connected the church growth movement of the 80s and 90s and then the the upshots of that with the with our movement really the young restless reform movement where people just kind of got sick of the wishy-washy preaching and the um and wanted something more strong they wanted something stronger more biblical um something they could really get their teeth into so there's that and then you had obviously the um emergent church movement that you know was sick of the kind of i guess the kind of consumerism of the church yeah. growth movement was completely geared towards the consumer because it comes ch- out of that doesn't it it comes out it, of consumerism because you're basing it on businesses well what are they about they're about capitalism and consuming you know yeah, we, we got to churn out a product and, yeah um, people, people are buying a product they're consuming a product and you're making church about consuming right. something aren't you the people become yeah that's it become your customers and so the emergent church took a dislike to that you've got people like brian mclaren rob bell uh, Tony Jones, who who went off and tried to, as Tim Challey says, tried to create more authentic, you know, Doug Padgett as well. Yeah, early church community, um, and obviously, like their theology slid off the edge of a oh, cliff. Oh yeah, um, and 
couldn't really be described as Christian. But um, yeah, some of the aims they had weren't bad. They, they were decent aims. But the point is, I think we have seen pragmatism operating in the church, and many um, in the in the Western church today have have either kind of come out of that movement and been shaped by that movement and are very influenced by it or are sort of unknowingly influenced by the church growth movement and pragmatism in yeah. their manner of doing things um i mean i guess this might all sound a bit nebulous to people that maybe didn't weren't alive back there or don't know about this but like what kind of things would you be looking for if you were to try and pick out pragmatism like what what signs are you looking for I think really that the main thing you're going to see first of all is um, it's like what they're teaching from the pulpit. I mean, I'm going to be listening to the to the to the preaching to start with. That's one of the main things you can sort of go for. And um, I think first of all you're going to you're going to hear a, a focus that's very much on material blessings. So it's about health and wealth. It's kind of really a prosperity gospel. So essentially, God is worshipped in order that you get material stuff off him yeah. so there's a kind of like you being blessed by god giving you stuff then there's also that the emphasis is all about you it's, it's the emphasis yeah. is on you so god really just wants you to have a better more fulfilling life god is your cheerleader and and you really need to kind of um it, it, sort of go deeper into yourself to see what it is that you really want in your life and, and actually you know have more faith to make that happen yeah. it's self-realization isn't it well see, i think everyone wants a better life don't they yeah you know, everyone wants a better life everybody wants to be richer more healthy fitter stronger have more friends have more influence everybody wants that and so i think certainly one of the upshots of pragmatism is that the pulpit has been um has been sort of the the purpose of it has been changed slightly uh to kind of point towards these felt needs um, yeah to, to you know to, to essentially be the um yeah, the, the, I guess the kind of thing that enables you to achieve these things that you want, and so, you know, you can you can tune into church services online as we are these days in the pandemic, and you can watch sermons, and and what you'll often pick up is that it's like, hey, you know, the Bible's not just true, but it can go to work for you, right? If you yeah. just if you just apply these principles in your life, you you will you will reap success, you will be successful, and that's of course attractive not just to christians but to to unbelievers and so it's quite possible i think anyway for have a better marriage to, have a better you yeah, know work I mean, career you know earn more I, money I, I, I mean i want a successful business you know can can god yeah. do that for me you know if i come to your church and and that pastor uh you know releases a, an impartation or a blessing over me will my business flourish you know so what you begin to see is essentially sermons becoming more self-help you know it's, it's oh yeah like, it's like buying a you know going to a tony robbins like uh, you know conference and uh, and hearing about you know seven reasons you're not flourishing you know oh right okay i needed to do x y and z and and then i would unlock god's blessings into my life and i would begin to experience prosperity or whatever else it is um and so that the pulpit gets aimed towards people to provide them with a kind of like yeah a better life you know um, instead of the pulpit being the place where you come into contact with god's word um certainly in a verse by verse context from scripture 
and you come into contact with the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God. You, you're coming in and you're hearing stuff that, man, is helpful. You know, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's all stupid and junk because some of the stuff they say is true. They, they take biblical principles, for example, about forgiveness and say, well, you know, live in forgiveness, uh, walk in forgiveness, and yeah, you should do that. Like that's a great yeah. thing to do. But we should also recognise that it's impossible to do for a sinner. Like, and I think also there's another thing which is you know, really something which is really key that it can easily be missed. I think is if you think about what the kind of the worldly mindset is that it is all about you. Yeah. And in fact, the the, the kind of the main kind of mantra of, of Satanism is actually do what thou wilt will be the sum of the whole law. Yeah. So it's basically that, yeah. all yeah all about you. So it's all about you. everything. Basically, ends on you. So. If you're preaching a message that ends on you, then I would argue that actually that the devil has crept in and actually, and it's not just that, that you've just kind of fudging it a bit. This is actually a message that if it ends on the, on the, on the worship and not on God, then that's actually, that's such a, demo, a demonic oh, yeah. infiltration. And people can't see that how false teaching in that way is actually of the devil. And, and I'd go on as well to say that, as, I mean, as already, as you already touched on that, there's also never any mention of sin or repentance or hell yeah. or judgment. Like the kind of message that you would hear the likes of John Wesley and George Whitfield preaching, the sort of message that if you went on YouTube and you listened to preachers like David Wilkerson, A.W. Tozer, Leonard Ravenhill, that Holy Spirit soaked message that really makes you feel convicted and, and, and leads you to want to, to come to God, that, that is missing. There's no yeah, yeah. Holy Spirit in that message. But they'll say, listen, the ends justify the means. They'll say, look at my church, though. You know? Yeah. <laughs> my church I've got thousands how's, of people, yeah. yeah. How's your church looking? Um, yeah, I've got, right, I've okay. got 50 people, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you should think about that. You know, look at the work I'm doing for the Lord. Look how the Lord's using me. Uh, we're blessed. We're experiencing growth. What are you doing? You know, um, you should probably... You should probably go and take a look at yourself before you criticize, you know, and that tends to be that tends to kind of out the pragmatic approach, which is essentially that whatever gets a, a, a kind of noticeable result must be right. And so um, it, well, I could try and counter that. I can have a go try and counter that, like that, that argument that um, the pragmatist might come yeah. out with. So I might say, okay, well, I'm so pleased that you've got all these people coming to your church. Well done. Um, can I just ask if, if that's because they're there because they really love God or is it because of all the attractions that you're putting on for them? I mean, there's a huge coffee bar. I mean, that's nice before you've even Hallelujah. entered in. You, you know, it's, <laughs> um, so there's a coffee bar, there's, there's McDonald's. I mean, that's brilliant. Also, can I ask with regards to all these young people? I mean, I'm so pleased to see all these young people in church. That's fantastic. Well, um, well done. But can I just ask... Um, could it be the lively worship band on the stage with the flashing lights and the smoke machine and the and the sound system that's so loud it makes your internal organs bleed? You know, <laughs> you know, could it be that massive sound system and, and all that cool stuff on the stage? Um, could it be actually that the, the the enjoyment and catharsis that comes from being in a large gathering of people? Because that's nice, isn't it? When you turn up to a gig, it's a you know, it feels good. Yeah. Um, could it be also could it be the large number of attractive single young adults as well because yeah, you know you're single yeah. you want to meet someone you you know wouldn't that i mean that'd be a good place to go where are all the where are the single young adults well um it's like i've heard that nightclubs do pretty well in the city center for that reason <laughs> yeah. um and so and you've got 
Trey, you've got a loud rock band and you've got lasers and smoke machines. You're pretty much a nightclub anyway. But um, what about also, could it be the, the engaging, humorous speaker on the stage and everyone finds it really funny and he's really relevant and cool and everything? And, and he, you know, he's got like skin tight jeans and tattoos and whatever. And or could it be, could it be, um, you know, the social community time? Like, you know, there's a whole bunch of people you can, hey, you want to go hang out down the pub afterwards? Yeah, we'll just hang out and all that stuff. It could be that. What about the families as well? Like, could it be that the children's ministry, because this church got a big children's ministry and a whole children's team, whereas if you go to your local church, there's just a few old people who are trying to sort of help out and, and volunteer. But this church, you've got a whole children's ministry team. And that means that you don't have to bring up your kids in the faith. You can just allow the church to disciple your kids because you're far too busy earning money, aren't you? So you haven't got time to bring up your kids in the faith and, and read the Bible with them and pray. I mean, you got, I mean, let the church do that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, and anyway, and you're tithing well to this church anyway, so you're paying for that service of having your yeah. kids taught. You know. So I would sort of say, um, yeah, well done. I'm so pleased you've got all these loads of people going there. But can I just ask you, who's going to endure to the end? Wow. Well, that's the that's the nub of it, bro. Mic drop. I mean, we should just appreciate that that response, that rebuttal. Um, you know, I, I think you're right. I, the question would be. Um, What's the state of faith of these individuals? Um, yeah. Who, who are, What's your discipleship like? What's your holiness like? I think it was, um, I was listening years ago, I was listening to a Martin Lloyd Jones preach, and he was talking about some experiment that had been done, you know, back in the 60s, 50s, or wherever it was, um, in evangelical churches in the UK uh, with students in student ministry. And the uh, students were asked if they could articulate the gospel. And a large percentage of them said no. Um, no, I can't yeah. do that. Um, others had a go, you know, and did a reasonable job. Uh, still others, um, even better. But but a very large percentage of these students could not articulate the gospel and would not even have a crack. And I think for, for me, that would be the, the test. Is like, well, are these people really converts? Um you know, have they been drawn essentially by the preaching of the word? Do they do they know they're saved? Are they are they repentant? Are they clinging to Jesus for forgiveness? You know, do they know who God is? Do they know who they are? These these elemental things of the Christian faith, like are they are they Christian on those things or not? Like that that would be a big question for me. And I think pragmatism works right across the field. We we do see it in many areas. It's it's rife in many areas of Christianity um, where, you know, like worship, for example, like you mentioned that and um, how kind of having a pragmatic approach to worship would essentially be, well, what's working right now? Let, let's look around the world and yeah. let's look at what's working. Right. Okay. Uh, well, you know, I'm not going to lie. Like I, I sometimes I really enjoy, I'm a musician as you you're a producer. I'm a musician. Yeah. We enjoy good music, and absolutely. You know, I'm not going to lie. Like I look I look at the musicianship out somewhere like Bethel, and I think that sounds great. Like that sounds. Amazing. Oh yeah, they are on it musically. Yeah, and, oh, and gonna, the producers yeah. are fantastic. You know, and so I really enjoy and I prefer that kind of music, and so I think as a pragmatist, well, if it's working out here, that principle should work where I am. You know, it seems to get lots of people jumping. It's got lots of people engaging. Like, so I'm based in the black country, you know, yeah. in Wolverhampton. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to completely wholesale 
pick up and move this west coast states california and laid back chilled out worship style i'm going to drop it into the wet <laughs> dark cold black country you know on a frigid sunday morning and i'm going to expect the same result well you're having a laugh if you think that's going to work yeah uh, all it's going to do is going to gather people who enjoy that same type of music as you um and get a kick out of it well you'll be leaving a lot of congregants just kind of thinking, well, this doesn't sound like us. Like this just doesn't, you know. That I mean, for starters, a lot of the, a lot of that type of music, not just Bethel, but can be quite thin in terms of its. It sounds like nineteen eighties power ballads to me. I'll be honest, <laughs> but, but it, you know, that's what I think of. I think that would be the pragmatic approach to worship, which would be essentially, well, what's working? You know, what do I see out in the world yeah. that's working? Let's take that model and let's import that wholesale you know i know of i know of a guy like way back in the 80s the 80s no it was the 90s i think in the 90s who was running a church he'd taken on a church um reasonably sized church up north and um what he did was he went to a hillsong conference he went to a hillsong conference uh, with uh, is it Brian what's his surname Houston Brian Houston was it Houston yeah. I see, yeah and and obviously was just enamoured with what yeah what was happening there and just the growth and planting churches all over the world and and Brian Houston was essentially sharing the model that they use so this guy um, it, from the UK essentially just kind of wholesale took that model he went back to his church he did what he had to he he just got rid. Yeah. He got rid of anyone in that church who he felt was not going to fit into this new model. He just got he got rid. Um, wow. He completely changed the church from being what it was into like an identical kind of cookie cutter model of a Hillsong church. Um, everything, bells and whistles, you know, uh, smoke wow. smoke machines, lights, the kind of like jump up and down music, the the short snappy life application preaches and uh, and he saw growth exponential growth you know oh you will um, do yeah i'm talking and i'm saying this but the fact is you know I, I, last year i kitted out a church with like a 10 grand line array system you know yeah i i, I yeah. did that i i had the the lights put in you know I, I made that place look look banging i actually engineered the led lights on the platform so yeah, I'm, I'm not sort of standing here going, well, I, I don't do any of that. I do. Oh, we're, I, we're both I, guilty, I have, man. I'd say know, I'm guilty. Guilty as charged, I mate. guess it's how far do you go, you know? And um, Yeah. And and what's the aim here? You know, what, what are we trying to do um, in doing these things? So we have to sort of self-evaluate. And and, and I, I guess it's just that thing, isn't it? It's just, well, what am I trying to do here? And I think the regulative and the normative principles are helpful. Um, I don't know if you want to explain a little bit about those before we dive in, Gareth. Um, but I think they're yeah, helpful sure. in understanding or getting a grid on our decision-making. Because all of these things we mentioned with the smoke machines and the lights, I've done them all. Uh, yeah, would, I do, would I do them again? Probably not. But but, but no. have I done them? Yeah. Did, did they work? Yeah. 
this is the thing they do really work it's like we're, we're, we're talking about from where like actually you do this oh cool you know entertainment like you could honestly if, if you're brilliant on the piano you could just play some boogie woogie on, on the piano in, in St Pancras Station and you'll get a crowd of people yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like anything that, that draws a crowd you you know that it works yeah yeah I think we've all we've all experienced that um, and I think there are sort of like grey areas to make it's, it's sort of like if you've got a large building big hall and lots of people is it wrong to have a good sound system well i don't think so and i think that the idea of the regulative and the normative principle would support that because having that sound system enables you to project sound the preaching yeah. to a large hall so it's in a sense it's it's essential really um for the function of the preaching it's 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 not there in order to, uh, well, it's there to support what is essential, yeah. biblically speaking, for the worship, the worship of the church. So I, I think I could make an argument for that. But the smoke machine is a different case, isn't it? Because, <laughs> yeah. well, seriously, you know, you think about it, the, the line array speakers, okay, maybe, you know, does it need to be like, 50 grand or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but do you know what cracks me up? Let me tell you what cracks me up, right? You go, <laughs> this does actually crack me up. You go into an Anglo Catholic or Catholic church, it's full of smoke, like incense. You go into a charismatic, <laughs> it's, it's full of, you know what I mean? It's full of like, full of, like, it's just like, what is it with smoke, man? Like, like you can right. be two more different churches. Right. It's true, though, Don't isn't it? Don't deny, though, it just adds that kind of on point, like on fleek look to your service. <laughs> Yeah, it does. Yes, it? it's lit, and especially like if you've got like a nice somebody taking pics with a nice camera, the smoke just oh, yeah. adds that little bit of anointing to the pictures, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> shimmer, 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 mate. And yeah. I'll tell you what, another way to get the Holy Spirit in is if you have pink up lighting. I just think the Holy Spirit oh, can't resist pink up I've lighting and that. dimmed lights. Got to do that, haven't you? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. done that as well. I, you know, I'll admit it, but it's just completely when you look at it, you just yeah, think, we all really we, we all have to draw a line, <laughs> don't we, with these things. Because let's not let's not pretend that we all oh, we, we only do what's biblical, you know. Like no, absolutely. I'm sure, we all the thing. have things that we're, you know, we, that that we have that perhaps you know is it essential? Do I, you know? And so there are some things here that that are grey areas that we need to debate. But I think um, you know, smoke machines. Take that for example. Well, what's the what are we doing with the smoke machine? Well, it's literally there for aesthetic effect. It's it's there to create yeah. this this kind of like this atmosphere, this kind of mystique. You can't really see people, you know. Um, it just it's like being at a concert, you know. For me, yeah. that's where you've got to draw a line. You, that smoke machine is not supporting any essential part of the worship of the church. It's there to essentially kind of fake out some kind of atmosphere and, and push people into having an emotional reaction to what's happening which is for me is 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 pagan right it's a it's a yeah. pagan ideology that shouldn't have any place in a church um so we we have to be able to kind of draw these lines i think and say what is essential for the worship of the church and what isn't you know and try and begin to draw a line there um because the danger is that we gather a lot of people and we're successful in putting bums on seats or we're successful in evangelism because we've just gone around telling everybody that Jesus loves them and he wants, he's got a wonderful plan for their life. You know, but 
oh please come to church on Sunday there's great coffee and good music the the danger is yeah. I've seen this is that you end up trying to pastor goats you end up shepherding goats yeah completely and, and you are I tell you now as a pastor you a large proportion of your time is spent pouring into hopeless situations where you're trying to apply scripture to people who don't care about scripture they don't read scripture they just came here to get a better life you know it's like that Charles Spurgeon quote, isn't it? There'll come a time where instead of shepherds shepherding the sheep, there'll be clowns entertaining the goats. Well, yeah. yeah, you know, there, there you've got it. And and uh, and that's the danger of pragmatism is that you're actually successful in it. You know, is that's, the, that's yeah. the danger is that you actually get successful. Like not a lot of churches do. And a lot of churches right now, like in the West, have like spanked their entire budget getting an amazing sound system and like smoke machines and the best like coffee machine you could possibly buy to be just like elevation and they've you know they've they've paid the big bucks to get in the skinny jeans preacher and like the best worship team and they get like three or four people you know i know i know it happens like and so it's horrible for them when it fails but it's worse if you succeed because you risk filling your church you actually believe with that, false yeah. converts. With false converts, you believe this is actually working in the wrong yeah, way. Yeah, and you've got to give an account to God, haven't you, on Judgment Day, as to w- yeah. what you have done with those who He's entrusted you to. And and many of these people who are applying pragmatism in their church leadership, they're Christians. They're not. I don't believe they're all yeah. false teachers. I'm sure there are some. No, not but at all. Many of them are good brothers, and you know they're brothers in Christ, and and they, um, and they love the Lord, but that they are applying this method and and it's getting them into trouble and I, and I think we have to be careful we have to take an inventory of our own ministry and think what am I doing here you know certainly in evangelism Gareth I'll tell you this yeah I was hugely impacted by pragmatism and evangelism hugely and um, you know I was I've never been a particularly confident person speaking to strangers um always found it difficult i'm an extrovert but i don't enjoy talking to strangers uh, and, yeah uh, it's not easy i when i began to kind of you know come back to church and, and get involved with evangelism you know or, or i'd be at a church and they'd say you know we're going out on the streets on on saturday like i remember being at oxford vineyard for a few years and they used to do that they'd go you know out on the streets they'd do healing on the streets or evangelism and because the church was relatively small, they'd literally ask you face-to-face, um, are you coming on Saturday? And I'd just have to find, like, any excuse to not be there. Because I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, yeah, oh, I'm really sorry. Like, I meant to come, but something came up. And, you know, it just it just got so embarrassing to the point where they were like, oh, we just, you know, what happened this weekend, Graham? Did, you know, the guinea pig die or something like that? I was like, actually, yeah. Um, so, but, I'll use that. Yeah, but when actually I came up to Wolves and um, I you know, I was filled with the spirit, I was excited to kind of go out and witness to people. But part of the reason I was excited was that I felt I had a new gospel. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, you know, it's a gospel of, hey, God's good. Um, he wants to heal you. He's got a wonderful plan for your life. Jesus loves you. That was the gospel. Yeah. And so, who wouldn't have a problem preaching that? You know. So I felt really emboldened, and uh, some amazing things happened. In fairness, you know, like the, the Holy Spirit moved through me and healed people. But what was sad is that so often, 
you know like i've got videos i've got videos still on my computer of people like me meeting people praying for them and get them getting miraculously healed you know like atheists whatever like healed of pain and stuff like that um but you'd see these people get healed you would say like jesus loves you man and that'd be it <laughs> yeah that would be the gospel like, oh thanks mate yeah. thanks mate. that's really be, helpful like, thanks yeah. man um, are you like darren brown then you know can i check your your stuff out online anywhere so the gospel essentially for me became attractive because yeah it became something that i knew was palatable to people uh that wouldn't make me look like a fool you know like i'm just trying to tell you stuff that's going to help your life and things like that and the, the other thing would be um yeah well you know i i just really sense god's wanted to tell you that you're an amazing person that would be a classic as well which is god just thinks you're amazing he thinks you're just doing so well and you're just such a champion and yeah jesus loves you okay bye All right <laughs> so yeah and then obviously I'd, you'd go to other christians and say i don't know what you lot are all so scared about preaching the gospel everyone wants to hear it everyone wants to hear the gospel people are so receptive and what what you're not telling them is that you didn't preach sin you didn't preach repentance yes <coughs> you didn't preach jesus as the only way you just told them <clears throat> some nice stuff and and maybe prayed for them right so you can see there how pragmatism can so easily impact your your witness i think yeah the message yeah well david pawson isn't it david pawson this book here um the the god and the gospel of righteousness it's a little short book um but i remember reading this and um basically pawson says do you know that um in all the apostolic preaching in the book of acts uh, god's love isn't mentioned once actually by Stephen, yeah. by Paul, by Peter, um, the the key things are Jesus is Lord, right? He is the Christ. Repent of your sins. Uh, yeah, you know, believe, be baptized, uh, be forgiven. These are the key things. The love of God isn't preached, and certainly they don't come and say, you know, guys, listen, God just wants you to know you're a great person you're just amazing you're wonderful in fact if you read acts 2 it's quite the reverse you know no oh, it really is isn't it's it it's quite the reverse they're a cut to the heart and you know that's the, that's the thing it's the conviction yeah. of the holy spirit and the gospel it's it's not it's not a, oh thanks mate it's a oh what do i have to do to be saved they were cut to the heart yeah so uh you had to you had to break them down before he then led them to the tr the That's truth it. and the so gospel. So you can see immediately how pragmatism might affect those two key areas, you know, worship, evangelism, and I think another area it certainly impacts on these days is leadership, church leadership, church governance. Obviously, last yeah. time out we talked a little bit about this in our section on the um, the uh, NAR, but pragmatism can perhaps be at its most dangerous when it's implemented at a leadership level. So oh, what definitely. that would look like is, listen, okay, we understand what the Bible says about leadership. Yeah, yeah, okay, we get it. But is it working? That's the question. Is it working? What we need is a model that's going to really work for us and is going to enable us to achieve our vision and our goals. Um, so 
you know, the dudes that do this are generally those dudes who carry a Bible around under one arm and seven habits of highly effective people under the other, right? Like, oh, yeah. You know, or John Maxwell book or something. And now listen, when I say this, you know, I'm not, I've got them on my shelf right here, right? I'm not, I'm yeah. not a leadership Bible hate, uh, leadership Bible. <laughs> well, that's what it is to many people, but I'm not a, le- that's right, isn't I'm not it? a leadership, you know, book hater. I own many of them. Um, the difference is that, you know, for example, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he advocates essentially for living by principles. So he says, listen, it's principles that govern. It's principles that govern. And so if you live by these principles, then you'll be highly effective. Okay. Is there anything wrong with living by principles? No. A Christian ought to live by godly principles. Okay. You know, um, be generous, be loving. Yeah. Um, these things uh, we ought to live by um love the lord your god with all your heart etc um but (laughs) when (coughs) when you utilize these leadership books and you say actually the reason why you gareth as a church leader are not seeing success and growth in your ministry is because you haven't read seven habits of highly effective people and you haven't implemented it into your life um yeah if you would just you know spend less time in prayer and more time yeah actioning some things out of this book you'd go much further you know it's it the danger of it is that because it seems to be a shortcut to success you know, a lot of these principles in these books are actually good things. But when we view them as being a shortcut to success, um, they can very easily begin to rise up to the level of scripture and their level of authority um, yeah. to the point where um, I know, I know in, in many churches, the church leader is expected to be more like a CEO than a pastor. Yeah, completely. Right. So the church leader or the job description for the church leader these days um, isn't the same criteria laid out in Titus or in Timothy, um, you know, or in Acts. It's actually more like we want John Maxwell. (laughs) Yeah, it becomes this kind of situation where, and and as you said in the last one, um, when we were talking about the NAR, and it's that kind of, and it's kind of, they're kind of linked with each other. That the, the church leader in this context is very prone to abusing their power and being harsh in their treatment of others, and and it's ultimately because of the leadership model that has been adopted has yeah. taken its origins from the secular business world and not from scripture. So if you look at the person that we're following and the person that we're supposed to be leading others to follow, the Lord Jesus Christ. He demonstrates the very antithesis of, of what uh, yeah. this kind of model is is promoting. So this is why yeah. when you look at a lot of these leaders who have adopted this kind of uh, of model, they're actually very unchristlike, and it's because they've bought into a system that is antichrist essentially. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a it's a pagan system of leadership. Yeah, and though it may garner results out in the world and in the marketplace you you don't bring unclean things into the church like that and utilize them as if they're holy you know you no. can't, some things you can't sanctify for use because god's already prescribed the way that he wants the church to be led and governed um he's prescribed the um the character traits of those who he wants to shepherd the church and you know 
these i think this is another thing as well is it's things like gentleness meekness lowliness um these things are hugely undervalued in the pragmatic kind of church growth movement because winners don't have those categories like winners don't have those characteristics you know like you need to be a leader capital l you know you need to be a go-getter you need to be um you know out there getting it done right and yeah actually you think right okay well is that actually what the bible prescribes for church leaders though is that what no, the Bible it's, says? It's or is, really is this, isn't, is it? Or is this something that we've just decided? Like, we're not even going to question it anymore. We've just decided that these things work and therefore it, it, it really doesn't matter what the Bible says about it. Um, it's it's working for us. It's yeah. working for us, you know? Um, so I, I think, yeah, that's the danger. And you do end up, therefore, with church leaders that sort of have more in more in kin or in, in sorry more in uh common with a business leader like i mean i remember i remember being told when i came into church leadership right now you need to be the captain on the bridge you need to be the captain on the bridge this, this is your ship to steer you need to and i'm like no it's jesus's ship yeah <laughs> it's, yeah completely it's jesus's ship i'm an under shepherd let's let's change the you know, I'm not Captain Kirk, okay? No. I'm a shepherd. So I think sometimes what happens is that we forget that just because much of the pictorial language Jesus uses and the, you know, he uses particularly about the sheep and the shepherd and things like that, like, because it doesn't, it's not really kind of... It's not familiar to us living in cities in the 21st century... But we no. shouldn't dismiss it, Gareth. That's what I think. No. We, shouldn't, yeah, yeah. we shouldn't dismiss it as being, ah, well, yeah, you know, 2,000 years ago, that was relevant, I'm sure, in some way. We should seek to understand the context of shepherding. Absolutely right. First century Judea, because surely in that, there's some rich imagery of what a pastor is supposed to actually be like, you know, going after the one. Well, actually, yeah, that was bloody hard to do a lot of the time. You, you, had yeah, to, you had to be completely singularly focused on that sheep over hard terrain you know um the sheep had to know your voice so there's all of these things that actually have parallels in the life of a, a of a pastor of an elder and they have very little to do with being <coughs> successful with being a go-getter with being you know having your fingers in every pie and managing staff actually it's much more to do with taking care of a flock of sheep yeah a flock of sheep which is jesus's sheep you're the under shepherd you're not the shepherd i have you know i I do worry when i hear sort of like it's vision casting sunday and things like that i'm like well whose vision yeah whose vision are we casting you know has has it been properly held up to the light of scripture or are we just arbitrarily deciding what directions take the lord's church in this year you know yeah there are concerns i have and i think the more that pragmatism impacts the church the further away we get from pastors being shepherds yeah that's they, the thing. They, they cease to be shepherds and they become businessmen you know they, they become ceos and sort of like success or minded individuals who just ruthlessly do whatever they have to in order to ba- balance the books and get what they want 
you know it's not spiritual leadership i'm just gonna say it straight it's you're running an organization yeah but you're not leading spiritually a church you're running an institution but spiritual leadership is spiritual shepherding they are two very different things that's it It, it's it's that exactly it's recognizing that you know jesus and the apostles had a model that they laid down for these things you know church leadership worship evangelism the gospel preaching you know the these things have a pattern in scripture and so our job as christian leaders is not to set a goal of our own choosing and then just get to it as fast as we can our our job is to pay attention to what's in the scriptures and maybe you know maybe we do need to of course we need to utilize things like technology for example right now yeah you know we are utilizing technology in order to get services out to people who are at home you know and is that in the bible well no it isn't in the bible but the idea of a church being gathered certainly is so we do the best we can so i think there are areas where we can certainly attempt to be practical and make use of technology whether it be a sound system or lights or you know a a worship team that has an electric guitar and all these things there's nothing inherently demonic about these things what's demonic is when you are completely wholesale bringing in models of leadership models of worship into the church you're changing the pattern of your worship you're including things that do not you know you're including smoke machines and the like that superfluous they're not there to support any necessary component of worship they're just there to look nice or to draw attention to themselves to make your church a more attractive place to be for an unbeliever that's when we're getting into pagan territory um and i think it's dangerous i think we run risks there um yeah so, you know, there's a quote yeah. from um, the Irish preacher Keith Malcolmson which I think I'll drop him just because he kind of says that um, it really quite powerfully he says I've seen a lot of people worship God cry and enjoy music and yet they don't live right they don't obey God they have rebellion in their hearts they're not submitted to the commands of God but they worship they could worship for hours but they're committing fornication I've known churches where they will worship for two hours and the guitar player is committing fornication with a woman who isn't his wife and yet they call that worship no that's idolatry that's a man-centered thing and it has nothing to do with worship now today they bring in smoke machines they have flashing lights all of this is an abomination to god you're meant to worship god not with creating a sensual soulish atmosphere that affects your eyes your ears and your feelings true worship is of the spirit in the deepest part of man's inner being and is it is in truth real worship is utterly in line with biblical teaching i think it might be quite a good good uh, link natural link to talking about a bit about normative and regulative principle of worship and um, it, yeah. just, I mean, just for, for those who aren't familiar with it, quite a few people aren't. And to be honest, I only really kind of heard about it a couple of years ago, a year ago, whenever it was. But essentially before before the Reformation in the 16th century, the Roman Catholic Church, had, uh, as most of us know, had all but removed the Bible from the center of the worship. And it had become this kind of dead religion that was steeped in superstition and heresy. And the, ref- the reformers brought the word of God back to its rightful place at the center of Christian worship. 
And so as the Reformation started to filter down into the local churches, there were basically two main approaches to Christian worship. So you had the normative and you had the regulative principles. Now, first of all, the normative principle states that the worshipper has the freedom to, cho- uh, to choose uh, to order their worship services in any way that they want to. This was essentially Martin Luther's position on it. He loved the music of, of J.S. Bach and he was kind of more relaxed. And he just said, well, as long as it's not expressly forbidden in scripture, um, then you, you can go that way with, with it. And, and as long as, as long as it's not forbidden, that's fine. Whilst the regulative principle, which John Calvin put into effect, this states that the worship should be ordered on what is prescribed in Scripture and nothing else. And so if you think about it, those, both of those principles are going to lead to worship that looks very different in practice. Because on the one hand, you've got the normative principle for worship, which allows freedom essentially to experiment with worship. And and you can tell where that leads. The normative principle essentially leads to a pragmatic approach to worship, which is also known as the inventive principle. So the idea of whatever works, do it. So essentially we're talking pragmatism. Um, so instead of being guided guided by the word of God, you can kind of go along with whatever is popular in the culture. Now, the problem with the normative principle of worship is that whilst it seems innocent enough, and maybe it's quite liberating, it's, it's actually the problem with it is it's unable to prevent pragmatism creeping in and compromising the worship since it's relying on what scripture doesn't say than what it actually does say. Whereas the regulative principle actually orders the worship of the church on what the scriptures actually teach us about worship and and in the important lessons that we learn about the kind of worship that pleases God and, and recognising the holiness of God and approaching him with reverence and worship, giving him the worship that, that he desires rather than what we like. So therefore, the consumer of the worship is God and not us. And, and that's the main, really, the main difference between these, these two principles. In fact, there's one American pastor called Josh Boos who makes this observation um, and he's talking about the pragmatism that comes out of the normative principle. And he says, like anabolic steroids uh, offers instant muscular growth to bodybuilders, pragmatism offers church growth success at a much faster rate than a model that is centered upon the Bible alone. Once leaders taste this instant success, they become slaves to it. Rather than focusing on the scriptures, they begin looking to arrange their worship services in ways that will attract people through the front doors of their local church, regardless of what the Bible says. Pragmatism begins with the question of how a church can attract more people. But rather than opening the Bible for solutions, the solutions are often centred on evangelical tricks and gimmicks because pragmatism has the wrong starting point. It will always lead to the wrong solution. Yeah, well, I think that's spot on. And Sadly, it's sort of like, you know, I've experienced in these circles, you, you try and bring an open Bible to the discussion and it's like it's like you just kicked down the door and peed all over the christmas tree you know like yeah it's the, totally it's the worst thing you could do is like all right guys well you know, i don't want to kind of like dampen the fire here but can we just look at the bible for a second uh, yeah no, what's the no. bible say no no no, no. <laughs> sorry um please don't do that again you know so um so yeah no i i think that's that's a great um definition of of the normative and uh, normative and regulative principles um 
and something for us all to to really think about i think in our practice um you know i i think uh what we said today i i hope is i hope gives us food for thought i know that it's something that i'll continue to 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 ask of myself you know how how am i bringing my how am i bringing my kind of evangelism under the word of god how am i bringing the worship that's practiced in my church under the word of god um what am i doing to um protect myself against pragmatic approaches because they are attractive aren't they they yeah they promise rapid growth they 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 promise a quick fix for things um and so you know what am i doing to to kind of militate against that in my life um it's it's so important and um and I would say for those of you going to churches, it's looking for the signs of pragmatism in the church. And of course, God's elect are on a journey of sanctification. And I think there's only so long that any of God's children can really stay under this sort of simple, flaky lifestyle preaching and yeah, like kind of 50% gospel and watered down worship there's only so long god's elect can sit under that and remain satisfied and full and i would just say you know if you're picking a church you're moving areas or whatever you know always look for a church that's going to you know stick to the bible maybe it looks a maybe it looks a little bit kind of dowdy um but is the anointing there is the holy spirit there it, it is the word being preached uh, do you get do you get the sense that these leaders are not interested in making a name for themselves? Um, if so, then that's a good sign, you know? Um, yeah. So it's, it's good stuff to be aware of, I think. Absolutely right. Yeah. Well, um, it's been a great discussion. Gareth, you have a banging Paul Washer quote to finish with, I believe, if it's appropriate. Yeah. Um, yeah, this would, this would be great to close, uh, to end this podcast on. And so this is a quote from um, Paul Washer at a G3 pastors conference a few years ago. And he tells this parable. He says, quote, There was a great king who had a beautiful bride whom he loved dearly, and he always dressed her in the simplest and most elegant white linen. She needed no audacious colours on her face. She needed no wild hairdos. She was beautiful, simple, elegant, pure, godly, and beautiful. One day this king went on a long journey and calls you as a steward, and he says, I'm going to entrust my bride to you. I'm going away for a while, but I've laid out for you in a book every rule I want you to maintain. I want nothing changed at all. Stewards, you be faithful to carry out what is written in this book. So the king goes, and he's been gone for a long, long time. And all of a sudden, the steward begins to realise that the people in the kingdom are losing interest in the king because they're losing interest in the bride. She's too simple, too prudish, rather boring. She's out of step with the times. And so this steward thinks in his mind, aha, I've got it figured out. So he calls her in, takes off her white, elegant, godly dress and dresses her in something far more attractive to carnal men. He paints her face, parades her up and down the street, and by doing so, draws all the carnal, wicked men back into fellowship, supposedly with the king. That is exactly what countless pastors are doing in America today. They have taken the simplicity of the bride of Christ, her beautiful uh, purity, her holiness, 
and they've torn it from her and dressed her up and paraded her in front of carnal men in order that they will be attracted somehow to her and back to God. Let me tell you something. On the day of judgment, don't you worry about the atheist. Don't you fear for the prostitute or the murderer. You want to fear for someone on the day of judgment? You fear for a large number of evangelical pastors who have departed from the word of God and are parading the church in a dress and a garb that God never intended for her to wear. <laughs> Ouch. Would you like some Savlon for that burn? Dude, if you can't say amen, say ouch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Amen. Ouch. Yeah, oh, man, what a... What, what a good place to finish um, as ever you know we appreciate you guys listening in and um, and we're grateful for you and the comments and feedback that we always get so thanks a lot for listening in again um, we'll be back again in a couple of weeks time um, really looking forward to doing that again uh, if you um, are interested in any of the books we mentioned the links are going to be in the description so be sure to check those out uh, until next time God bless, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye now. God bless, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.